It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Thanks for being with us. Great to have Amin El Hassan, as advertised, back with us this week. Uh, a little bit later in the program, we'll get into a wonderful program initiative with the NFL with some fantastic and bright students attending historically black colleges and universities. Uh, the NFL had to deal with itself and its history and dealing with its retired players and their appropriate health care after their days uh, in the National Football League. But we begin with a story that we teased, I mean, uh, as we mm-hmm. taped this on Wednesday, uh, three days ago on uh, NBA Insiders, which people, what, when can they when can they check out that show? Oh, that's Sirius XM channel 86, 10 to 1 Eastern every Sunday. Jax, myself, we have a very well-produced tight show. You'll enjoy it. You'll learn something. You'll laugh. Franchises are us. That's how we get down <laughs> on Sunday mornings. That being said, we uh, saw the 2022 NBA racial and gender report card that was released after, after we were done on the air on uh, mm-hmm. a recording last Wednesday. And uh, as we talk about a lot, we're so proud to be a part of the NBA. This has been an initiative for this league at the highest of levels for a long time and not just an initiative. I mean, as we talk about all the time, you can look around the league office, mm-hmm. team offices, uh, obviously on the, the sidelines with coaching staffs and medical staffs and PR staff. Uh, I am not going into hyperbole mode when I say that the NBA is at the front of the line considerably when it yes. comes to gender and and uh, and equity hiring in professional mm-hmm. sports. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I'll take it a step beyond professional sports. You look around corporate America, look at how many Fortune 500 companies have the level of diversity among their highest uh, levels in terms of position within the company and also with from the standpoint of compensation, your most compensated employees. Uh, you know, the level of diversity that we have in the NBA is I would put it up against any company in America right now. Uh, there are things that there's always room for improvement, right? Nope, come and, on. and so we, we judge against the other leagues and we judge against where the, where the NBA once was, but the reality is there's still, uh, like there's still kind of room for growth there. And, uh, you know, the thing I always point to, Jax, is let's not get caught up in the high profile, right? Head coaches, presidents of teams. You know, if we can build diversity with it throughout the organization, throughout the organizational chain, up and down, I think that should be a, uh, a point of emphasis. And it has been, I feel like, for the NBA. The NBA received an A-plus for racial hiring practices, a B-plus for gender hiring practices. 
scoring an overall A for their 2022 report card. There was a positive trend for women at both the team and league office levels as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NBA league office received its highest percentage of women in professional staff roles in more than a decade at Mm -hmm. uh, over 43%. Both team vice president and team senior management categories saw increases as well. Almost... Uh, let's see, reaching 30 and 39% respectively. Uh, As you noted, room to grow, but better. So context on the league, right? Mm -hmm. During the 2021-22 season, 82.4% of the players were people of color, the highest by a wide margin over any other sport. There were Mm -hmm. milestone hires, by the way, for head coaches and general managers. We Mm -hmm. talked about this on Sunday. I don't remember... And I'm, I didn't go back to check. I'm just going straight off uh, mm-hmm. top of the dome of, of 25 years of covering this league where the full cycle of hiring of head coaches were all African-American men. I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm walking out on a limb here when I say I don't think that's ever happened before. Yeah. That, and, part that was, of the, and part of that also is that we've eclipsed the 50% mark in terms of the uh, number of black coaches in the league, 50% right. of them are black and this and again these are all i mean that's even compared to 10 years ago jacks right not we're not i'm not talking about the 60s and the 70s i mean 10 years ago we couldn't have imagined uh these numbers so it's it's pretty amazing pretty incredible well yeah um and and then you think about uh that darvin ham and mike brown added into this last cycle respectively and uh, the report card probably <laughs> is already off to a good start for the next right. uh, rotation for the NBA. And, 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 and also, you know, they mentioned this as well. The number of assistant coaches who are women Correct. Ha- has skyrocketed over the last few years. I think I want to say was Nancy Lieberman, the first female assistant coach in the NBA. Maybe not. Don't quote me on that, but in this rotation, she was one, she was one of, she yeah, was one of the first. And now, Again, I think that was, if that were just 10 years ago, I'd be on the very, very, like, aggressive side as far as a guess 10 years ago. In the last decade, now it's a common sight uh, to see women assistant coaches, and that's why when Adam Silver says he believes it's only a matter of time before we get a woman head coach in the NBA, I believe it. I believe it because... It's not a thing anymore. I remember when it was a thing. Oh, there's a woman there. And now it's not a thing at all. And many of them obviously have come from the WNBA route, former players. Uh, But also some coaches have come from the collegiate ranks. And I think we are, everything is heading towards a woman head coach. And we'll make a big deal out of it because it'll be the first in any of the major professional sports in America. But I don't think it'll be a big deal for long. I think it's it's something that, again, their presence of assistant coaches makes it less of a huge stigma. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about will the players accept being coached by a woman? And my answer to that is like, well, they already do. It's already happening, right? The right. people who I'm least worried about are the players. Because if it's someone who's coming internally, they've already seen and been demonstrated. She knows her stuff. She is worthy of this role. The hoopla, if you will, Jax, is going to come from everybody else. Yeah. Like 
you know, everyone who's not on the inside, like, oh my God, a woman head coach. Shifting uh, to the front office, uh, two areas that uh, are, are of interest are the folks who run the entire operation or the business side and, and the general managers. The, the percentage of people of color among the general managers increased from 40% Mm-hmm. in 2020 to 50%, just like the head coaches last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is a particular interest to me, the, the basketball ops side, because as a former basketball ops executive who was black and who did not play in the NBA, I'm always, I've got a keen eye towards this particular category, because unfortunately, many times in professional sports and Mm-hmm. In professional sports media, the quota, if you will, of diversity is fulfilled by former players. We need someone black, go get a former player, right? If you're white, you can be anything. You can have any background. But if you're black, I better have a card, a playing card of you somewhere or, or a YouTube highlight or something. And so when we look around the league and I see names like Masai Ujiri and Kobe Altman, and Troy Weaver, I personally get a kick out of that because I understand how hard it is. It's hard enough to be a GM in this league. It's even harder to be a person of color and reach that space. But I'm telling you, ain't nothing harder than being a person of color and reach that space and you don't have a playing career to hang your hat on that your owner says, oh, I remember you. You were great at Georgetown or whatever. Like when you don't have any of that, you're basically building your reputation against all odds. I have a special admiration for those guys because they made it, they made it through the most treacherous of land minefields to get there. And, and, you know, that's the number. When I see the number, I see the, 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 the grade, in my mind, I'm saying, well, there's a context behind this grade, and I want to see how many guys were able to make it without having that playing career to lean back on. Four black individuals uh, who hold the chief executive or president title for NBA teams. You mentioned two, Fred Whitfield uh, for mm-hmm. the Charlotte Hornets, and then Cynthia Marshall, who's the CEO yes. of the Dallas Mavericks, who crushes uh, and checks both boxes. But the thing that did blow, blow me away along with Cynthia, there are six other women who hold CEO or president titles for NBA right. teams in the NBA. Right. And, and throw on top of that, the ownership grade, where uh, you want to talk about another place, room for improvement, but it's been improving. Again, like kudos, because again, 10 years ago, I want to say you had... 29 out of 30 owners were white men. And now you have Jody Allen in Portland. You have uh, Mrs. Benson uh, in New Orleans. You have Jeannie Buss in Los Angeles uh, as women. And then people of color, you got obviously Michael Jordan. You got Vivek Ranadive. You've got um, Mark Lazary and Joe Sy of the Brooklyn Nets. So again, we're not quite where we need to be, but we're a lot better than where we used to be. And we are miles better than our peers. Before we wrap this up, this is, I think, an initiative that is mirrored at the, at the very top of the league, 
Adam Silver had called for this action of more women, more people of color throughout the NBA. And you start looking through who reports to him. Uh, Kathy Behrens, president of mm -hmm. social responsibility player programs. Amy Brooks, president of team marketing and business operations and chief innovation officer. Uh, a guest of this program, program Byron Spurrell, president of uh, NBA League operations. Sharif Abdurrahim, president of the G League. The deputy commissioner. Yep. Mark, Tatum, Mark Tatum, Brooklyn's own, as he'll let you know, <laughs> is, is all in the mix. And so all of this is reflected in the league office, which the, then there's there's no excuse if you're a team that's lagging behind. I mean, heck, uh, Jax, look at the, look at our referees. Yeah. You know, our, our referees are 24 percent, I mean, 23 and a half percent of the referees are women. And that's a one point one percentage increase from the year before. Uh, for comparison, in 2017-2018, which is five years ago, women represented 1.6% of all NBA refs. In, in five years, we've grown that number from 1.6 to 23.5. Uh, as far as uh, people of color, 56.9% of NBA referees were people of color. That represents a 2.5 percentage point increase from the pr previous report and it's an all-time high for the nba so again I, I, it's one of those things and I, I realize this whole time i've been saying we jackson so i know this is a, a a an inclusive show you know this airs on multiple networks at sirius xm but at our hearts i feel like we're basketball guys we have to own that right we're going to take a quick break when we come back we were going to dive inside racial bias that has been found in the NFL's concussion deal, it looks like that we have a understanding and a conclusion to this uh, egregious scenario. We'll dive inside that as forward progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Time for the NFL portion of the program. A little bit later on the show, we'll focus in on a cool program that the NFL has with some really bright students at historically black colleges and universities. But first, I mean, we got news last week that dozens of retired black NFL players became eligible for payouts from the $1 billion plus concussion settlement mm -hmm. uh, after previous rejections signaled that eliminating structural race bias in this seven-year deal uh, is turning the right corner. It, it's estimated... I mean, 4,000 retired players had been denied payments because of provisions that allowed doctors to assign them a, a lower baseline score in whatever cognitive testing they right. do. I don't know a great so, deal about that part, but it right. was definitely different than their white counterparts. Um, and, and, and while things are moving in the right direction, um, it's just a little over half of the players that were denied that have even reapplied. So really yeah. pushing the news of this uh, is incumbent upon the NFL. We take it our responsibility on a show that talks about race and sports as well. Um, but it was, what was the phrase they used when this first came out back in the spring? Race norming. Race norming, race norming. So Good uh, people to, put it, to put it in layman's terms, as I understand it, basically in order to figure out whether you are suffering from a level of dementia that is commiserate with a payout. Uh, they classified as 
if you're early to moderate dementia, you get uh, up to 600 grand, and then mild dementia will get up to 35 grand, right? Um, they basically, what they're doing is they're taking your baseline and then seeing how much kind of cognitive ability you've lost compared to that baseline. The problem is, as they were calculating that baseline, they had a factor in there that lowered it if you were black, right? So basically, to say, oh, he's not that, he's not suffering from dementia. He's not bright to begin with. He's not that bright to begin with. He didn't uh. lose that much, as opposed to someone with a higher baseline. With the after the cognitive testing, like, wow, you've lost a lot off of where you should be, and so obviously this is a very clear and blatant violation of civil rights, not to mention it, it's just kind of it's disgusting, right? It's a, a level of, you know, I, I got a quote here from uh, the news story from Ken Jenkins, who was a former running back and petitioned the federal judge overseeing the settlement to make the changes. Uh, he said in 2022, how can you possibly think that another human being comes out the womb with less cognitive ability? It's just impossible to believe that that can be true. It's unspeakable. And I think he put it perfectly. The idea here is that not that someone came out of the womb with lower cognitive ability is that based on their ethnicity, that's how like, Oh, he's black. Drop that score lower. So, you know, this again, I don't know how much you applaud someone for writing an awful wrong when that wrong should have never been made to begin with. But I am happy that more of these veterans of these men are going to get the, the help that they, they need because this sport took something away from them. There are these gut-wrenching stories that have come out of this because these guys are suffering and it's almost like you're fighting against time too. I mean, the story of yeah. Marvin Owens, who uh, his lawyer asked the court to go back and review some of these changes because what happens if that individual has expired? He says he has this lawyer, Jason, uh, I'm sure I'm going to crush his last name, but Lucevich uh, said he has black clients who've recently died. Mm -hmm. After being denied benefits, and Mr. Owens was one of them, he played two seasons of the 70s, was notified in April he was eligible for retesting, so come back in, we'll roll you back through, uh, but he died last month. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You know, there's another story here of James Pruitt, a former wide receiver, played for the Colts and for the Dolphins. Uh, his quote was their, their mantra, there being the NFL and, you know, the people who clear these medical claims, their mantra is deny, deny, delay until you die. Mm. And Pruitt after his NFL retirement became a middle school teacher and principal in Palm beach County, Florida. Uh, but in 2010, in his mid forties, the district asked him to step down. He could no longer perform his duties says he doesn't even call on his friends from his playing days saying, quote, I don't get out and I don't remember a lot of things. I've been told that I repeat things. So I'm kind of embarrassed by the whole situation. Again, this is a man who is 58 years old and had to step down from his job being an educator in his 40s. Jax, I'm in my 40s. The idea that my brain could be so scrambled that at this point I can't do my job anymore, that's terrifying. 
Uh, terrifying. And then, and then for that to happen, and then to have to deal with the indignity of a league entity telling you, nah, you're fine. Nah, I had nothing to do with football. And as he said, deny, deny until you die. And then I'm like, oh, he's off the hook. We're off the hook on that one. That's It's sad. It's very sad. Uh, let us tip our cap to Dr. Amy Lewis. Uh, she's a retired player wife who helped spearhead the race norming changes. Now uh, the court appointed a player advocacy committee. She's the chair of that particular committee. And she notes what my concerns were a little bit earlier, that there is a process for the estate of deceased men to apply for awards now. But she also, as you'll note in this quote, uh, is still making sure that there's proof in this pudding saying, quote, we are really hopeful the NFL will do the right thing here and not try and do a workaround so that they deny the families of those players who have died very often with significant mental deficits from mm. playing this game. Just, I mean, it's bone chilling stuff, man. When you think about it, that, that people can go through this early in their lives, right? I think every one of those men knew what they were signing up for in their playing career, torn ACLs, broken clavicles, you know, uh, bro uh, punctured lungs and broken ribs and all like they all signed up for that. They didn't sign up for a increasingly decreased quality of life due to their brain basically failing. In, in their 50s, in their 40s and 50s, and they damn sure didn't sign up for early death. Yeah. Right. And to go through all that and for there to be a program in place to compensate, to try to make right that aspect, and for the NFL to still kind of have a, like you said, what, what did uh, Amy Lewis say, the, the workaround? Looking for a loophole to get out of taking care of someone whose post-playing life has been destroyed, in essence, by what happened during the playing. It's just, it's shameful. It's sad, um, and, and I, I hope that more people are going to get help as a result of this ruling. I'm pretty sure it was Howie Long um, when he was going into the Hall of Fame. He talked about what football had become. Mm -hmm. that baseball was the pastime, but football was the passion mm -hmm. for this country. And I have been hesitant and other people have come on the program and take it a step further and talk about this is very similar to uh, the Roman days when people all packed in the Colosseums and watched mm -hmm. gladiators kill one another. But it's hard for me not to think about the long-term effects, even with everything we know now and the league put the money into it and now extra safety precautions were still slamming brains against the inside of cranium. So you go see the movie concussion. It's jarring legit. Like, right. sorry about the pun, but literally there's a scene in which uh, the doctor who's played by uh, Will Smith mm -hmm. is shaking a potato in a jar of liquid against the glass side of a jar so viciously to let you know what is happening yeah. just on impact. Yep. And I think I think that's the thing that people the misnomer is that it's the head-to-head -head collision, right? 
that's what's causing it. And what it really is, it's, it's just, yeah, it's the fact that it's physics, right? Your body is moving. It comes to a stop, but your brain is still moving forward and it smashes against the inside of your skull. Imagine if you're on a city bus, Jax, and you're not holding on right. to the, it's not strap hanging, right? The bus pumps the brakes hard. Off you go. Like the bus stop, yes, but you're gone. And so to say, oh, we'll put some protections on the outside of the bus. We'll put the, none of that really changes the fact that I am flying through the inside of the bus. That's what's happening inside the head when these guys are, are, are getting hit with impact. So I'm in the midst of, you know, it's, it's fall, it's late summer, fall again, and Pop Warner's cranking up and high school's cranking up and the colleges are, and I'm in the midst of loving every second of hard knocks like I do every single <laughs> Me too. year this time of year. And you're falling in love with these guys whose entire life is built upon 75 car wrecks of practice, 75 car wrecks per game. And I'm going, what is wrong with me? Uh, and I, it's this... just, we're so conditioned to just love the competition, to love how hard it is, to love the work and the perseverance and people who become so wonderfully skilled at it. And you love it. Well, Jax, I'll, I'll say two things. One is at least now we can say the players know the long-term right. ramifications. And at least now there is a semblance of a safety net for that post-playing career. And as long as the league holds up its end of the bargain in that regard, I, I don't feel as guilty, I guess, because I feel like, okay, there's, it's being addressed. But every time we have a story like this where you, you see people getting built out of this pretty much, that's the part where that's where the guilt hits, at least for me. Let's take a quick break. That's Amin Al-Hassan in for Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. When four progress continues, 14 HBCU medical students have been chosen for an NFL diversity initiative. We'll talk all about it when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. I mean, as you well know, um, I am the son of HBCU graduates. I am the father of an HBCU student. And everything that has come uh, over the last couple of years in intention and resource enhancement and connectivity with HBCUs has been fantastic. Now, uh, I, for lack of a better term, the summer of George Floyd's death and everything that came right before it and after it um, pushed a lot of this energy into where can we really impact and uplift the black community? Cause there's so many places uh, to turn and a lot of the leagues, a lot of corporate entities turn to HBCUs. And as someone who tracks particularly uh, Florida A&M which is a <laughs> high recognized brand and um, a place that received a lot of love and attention in this space, uh, it, it's been cool to see. Um, and so there's been uh, a new initiative, a new placement uh, in the National Football League. We talked a lot, a lot about what uh, the NBA has done in so many different areas, uh, but there will be 
14 students from historically black colleges and universities, medical schools working mm -hmm. for the first time on the staffs of NFL clubs this season. Yeah, Jax, uh, I was shocked to find out from this news story that despite black people comprising 13% of the population overall, uh, only 7% of medical school students are black. Uh, and, you know, growing up, and I, I, part of this is obviously the, the, the child of immigrants, but, you know, for the most part, people were encouraged to be doctor, engineer, lawyer, right? Those are the professions, right? Because like ideas like you'll never be out of work. There's always, there's always a need for those things. And you can expand a little bit beyond that, say nursing, and you could say, uh, you know, uh, architect, you know, things, things that are professional in nature, but require a level of skill and a level of schooling. And so to hear that, man, like doctors aren't in, medical students aren't in, was kind of shocking. And that's what makes this program so great on two levels on one level it gives opportunity to these young medical school medical school students to get practical experience uh with working with an nfl team uh they get exposed to positions that probably historically they've been excluded from but also it's almost like a little bit of a marketing campaign. You yeah. do this and and you don't know about the other generations coming behind you that are saying, you know what? I want to be a doctor. I see guys on the sidelines on, on Sundays. I, I read about this program. I've seen, uh, you know, these people have these experiences. I want to do that. I want to get into that. And so I, I'm I'm very hopeful for it as a method of kind of, marketing so we can get a little bit more um enthusiasm towards the profession the students are coming from four hbcu medical schools in the country they'll be working with eight teams uh the falcons the Bengals, the rams chargers giants niners titans and the washington commanders the schools will be morehouse school of medicine um mm -hmm. i believe Charles Drew Howard. University, Howard as University. well as Howard, and I feel like I'm missing one. Meharry. Meharry. There it is. Uh, now, th this is a cool joint situation because you have the NFL Physician Society and the Professional Football Athletic Trainer Society, and they get together and they're trying to grow diversity across sports medicine, uh, in, in including the NFL. And here's a cool thing. I think young people, I hope there's some young folks that may be considering this space. There's two layers to this, right? There are team doctors, right, who are actually there to make sure that the players are cleared to play. They're there as the surgeons as well. And, and the medical consultation for whatever rehab that needs to be done. But the day in, day out, challenge and rigors of getting players ready lays with the athletic training staff. And sometimes you just need to know that there are differing dynamics. And sometimes that simply just does not permeate in the black community. The simple knowledge of 
here is what exists. Let us show you right. the different space. Because there might be a kid that's like, man, I would love to work around an NFL team. I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't think this is race based. I would be weary with another eight years of school. And so is there another <laughs> path that can get me yeah. into this space? Yeah. And listen, you can get a master's degree in, in athletic in training, you can get a PhD in medical yeah. training, but you can get to that part of it. If you don't have the, the desire or, or the burning uh, uh, mental capacity to just keep, because I didn't, to keep grinding through college, um, you want to get to work after you get to it. And I'm, I'm so glad the trainers, the greater point I'm trying to make, are mm. a part of this aspect because that is such a key component uh, to the everyday aspect of the professional athletic game. Yeah, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right? You know, the, you don't know what's available to you. If you don't know what's available, how are you supposed to prepare for that job or or target that job or make that your career objective? You didn't even know it existed as a career. So every time we have these kind of outreach type programs, I think it's important. It's important not only in, that, in making it available, but it's important in that it makes it known that it's available for not necessarily just for the people who are in the program, but people who are not in the program. Again, I think of, you know, there's a, a, a quote here uh, in the story from Philippe Ocampo uh, of Charles Ardu University, who's helping the staff oh, yeah. of the Rams. He says, uh, my biggest hope through this experience is to inspire youth, especially those from underrepresented backgrounds to pursue professions like medicine where they can do incredible things such as sports medicine with the NFL, right? That's the idea here is that even as he is the beneficiary of this program and is getting to do these cool things, his thought is about the ones who will come after him, who will be inspired by what he was able to do and what he was able to participate in and have a desire to kind of walk in those footsteps, be it as a, you know, a full-on medical doctor going to medical school or being a certified athletic trainer or all the other in-between kind of uh, elements of your team medical staff that help with player care. Knowing that there is sometimes an outsourced masseuse, knowing that there may be a chiropractor that's brought in, right. knowing that of all the team physician, it's just not an uh, orthopedic surgeon. Right. You know, there's a team neurologist and a there's team an internist and yeah. so on and so forth. Eye doctors, everything. Sitting stuff you know till you're on the inside. Jax, I'm going to tell you right now, man, like I, I know about it because I work for a team. I work for an NBA team. And so on media day when we all show up to go to camp the next day right. everyone does their physical and it's like uh like a you know like almost a like assembly a station, line? an assembly line you go in this room dr schwartz is the eye doctor you do the eye exam all right over here we've got uh you know dr tom carter is the orthopedist over here we've got you know so and so is the internist and and then yeah. you know you've got our, our dermatologist and 
You're going through all this stuff. So now, let's not because, forget the podiatrist, by the way, who might be oh, top absolutely. Three. Let's get them toes Absolutely. So the idea here is that you know, for for us, I know it's different for NFL teams, but on the NBA side, your doctors were people who had private practices, right. and then they were contracted by the team to do the other stuff. You know, right. shout out to my dentist as well, Doctor Bottolato. I know, I don't want to be left out, but. But the, the 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 point is, like, these guys have practices, but they work with the team. And like you said, there's uh, Monty Hessler, the, the team chiropractor for the Suns, right? Uh, there is a, a masseuse. There's, there's one of these things of every kind of discipline. And, and you'll hear in my, you know, as I describe these different people, different levels of schooling, depending right. on what profession they have. But you wouldn't, as you said, you wouldn't know that there's this whole universe devoted to player care as an opportunity for a career in sports if you never had the exposure. And ultimately, this program not only gives opportunities uh, to underrepresented communities and underrepresented uh, demographic backgrounds, but also it gives exposure to these positions, the very existence of these positions. The uh, back to this program in the NFL, the one month clinical rotations, uh, they begin uh, next month. So about two weeks away for these students uh, to begin their work under the supervision of orthopedic team physicians, primary care team physicians and athletic trainers. And, and it's just really cool. Some of these students that are studying uh, right now uh, were athletes and they're, they're loving the idea of being able to bridge this now, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of what their facilities or um, budget restraints might have been at their university, who knows how expansive, I don't care where you go, when you transition from a power five to the NFL, you realize there's a whole different world that we're dealing with. And, Not and in Kansas everything anymore, at your disposal. Total. <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore. Totally. No, man, not anymore. Uh, but but these young folks that were at least had a taste of this life in in athletics, uh, being elated to have this opportunity to work along. Listen, let's be real. We all know where we fit. Uh, North American professional sports, top of the food chain is the National Football League, and what they bring in financially, and the attention and the eyes they get. Uh, on the was it four days a week that they're on television now uh but it's just such a neat thing to watch folks take their personal experiences and their clinical skills and knowledge mm -hmm. and now be able to apply it at the highest level before we get out of here uh, but staying in the national football league i mean uh, we get uh, the news that the denver broncos uh have tabbed uh, damani leach as their new team president um, he uh, was a part of the NFL's uh, mm -hmm. league office and, and head of their international initiatives. Uh, but now he's bringing, being brought in quickly, by the way, a new owner and CEO in Denver, yeah. wasting no time um, to bring Leach in as uh, a key component with, uh, with, you know, 25 years of experience yeah. in this game to lead the Broncos. Yeah, I think he, he worked for the NCAA before that for about 17 years before he joined 
the NFL as VP of football strategy and business development. And then he transitioned to his prior role here uh, at NFL International. He was the chief operating officer of NFL International. Uh, but yeah, this is part of, you know, kind of Roger Goodell has set a goal for more racial diversity in ownership groups, front offices and coaching staffs. And, you know, this is this is where that report card, where we started our show with, with the NBA report card received from the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport, also known as TIDES, over at the University of Central Florida. Richard Lapchick does this study every year. He does a, he gives a report card. They do a great job. And, you know, the, the NFL, on that side of it, typically scores below uh you know below the nba and below a couple of other sports as well so uh this has been a matter of focus for them this has been a an area that they've identified as something that they need to do better at and here we go we get a an, a sale a new owner in denver and by the way did you see that number on that sale that- 4.65 billion dollars 4.65 gracious anyway four side note but it did catch my eye that's all i mean like yeah (laughs) my jaw definitely dropped uh the quote here from owner and ceo greg penner quote as we sought to identify a dynamic forward thinking and inspiring leader to guide the broncos into this exciting new chapter damani stood out among several highly qualified candidates there was a high degree of interest in this opportunity with the Broncos, which speaks to the reputation of this organization and Damani's strong credentials. In a statement, Leach said, Greg and the other partners are visionary leaders, and the trust they have shown in me is deeply humbling. I'm thrilled to support our world-class ownership, leadership team, and staff on this journey to drive innovation and growth throughout every area of the Denver Broncos. Just to clarify, Jax, Damani Leach will be the president, uh, I believe, on the business side. He reports directly to owner and CEO Greg Penner. Meanwhile, George Patton is the general manager. He, too, reports directly to uh, Penner. You you mentioned a little bit earlier that Leach spent uh, 17 years at the NCAA uh, in Indianapolis before going to the NFL. He oversaw football strategy and business development there. Mm -hmm. And then since 2019, had this CEO gig uh, with NFL International. But going a little bit deeper into my man's uh, resume, how about three-time first-team All-Ivy League defensive back at Princeton? There it is. Come on, man. Hey, man. You know know how hard that is? Yes, I did. Because I visited (laughs) Princeton. With my brainiac, my oldest, who is about to finish his, uh, just started on his second master's. And uh-huh. we were there, I think we're just in central Jersey. And I'm like, hey, man, like not for nothing. And I know the rankings change all the time, but Princeton's the greatest institution in America. Therefore, I'm saying the world. And let's just go visit. And, right. you know, you're, you're a track and field athlete. You have yeah. great grades. Let's shoot for the stars. Why not? Justin. Yeah. And, and and what was the response from from Dad? Justin this Jackson? place looks like Hogwarts. 
Now he was a man. junior. It was the summer yeah. leading to his junior year. So he's a you know, right. freshly out of sophomore. Man, but I'm like, wait a minute, Justin. I mean, come on, man. Like we're talking about Princeton here. And if they're just interested, can we just send the track coach your info? Because let's be honest, we're gonna we're we're while while you have that massive whatever he had, you know, it, it's not one of those five point two extra crazy grade point averages with mm-hmm. uh, AP. Oh, I don't I don't understand that stuff one bit now. Just a good Jackson three seven, good yeah. three seven GPA, and you're a great track athlete. That combination might be able to pull you in to be a tiger. Like my man. Yeah. Life changing. That was what Uncle Phil wanted uh wanted Carlton to go to, to Princeton. <laughs> He'd be a Princeton man like him. I, it, it, but it is, I mean, you think about, you know, as we talk about Damani Leach, the new president of the Denver Broncos. I mean, that that's quite the journey when you think about it. He's 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 oh, yeah, three-time All-American or, or all three-time all first-team All Ivy League. Ivy League, yeah. That's at a defensive Princeton. back at Princeton. Goes and works for the NCAA for 17 years, and then come returns back to his passion in football at the NFL. And now he's the president of of a team that just sold for 4.65 billion dollars. Jason Jackson. I mean, he he's got to be head over heels right now. It's listen, these are the reason why we grab these stories and it's the reason for this program. And uh, it's so great to have you here. As we say, each time you come and visit, uh, you were a part of those round tables. Now, was it three, three actual, so with two summers ago uh, that, that led to the invention of forward progress as we felt like across many platforms of Sirius XM sports, that this discussion is okay. There's oftentimes, as you fully know, we get pushback on our shows, on our individual shows about mm-hmm. uh, intertwining politics, race in sports, because people see this as an escape and a respite. But I'm so glad that we have this time and space to talk about it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in case anyone was wondering, got the NFL report card in front of me right now from Tides. Their overall grade was a B and a B plus in racial hiring. So, you know, we talked about those NBA scores going up a little bit after this past offseason cycle. I imagine the same will happen as well uh, in the NFL. Partner, we appreciate you swinging by. Hopefully we can call on you anytime we need you. You know, it's training camp time and our boy Kirk is out in the streets. So we appreciate you (laughs) filling in. Speaking of filling in, uh, thanks to Christopher Tyler for sitting in for Pernell Brown, who's on some beach. Uh, somewhere making sure he still has his passport so hopefully he'll be back with us so for uh, Christopher and Amin I'm Jax we'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress